German Chancellor Angela Merkel's favorite successor sparked outrage on social media on Tuesday with an apparent call for limits to free speech around election time. A German official who wants to curb free speech critical of political groups. What could go wrong? (laughs) Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, says Americans should pray to God this Sunday to protect Trump from enemies who want to destroy him and pull down his presidency. And, you know, if you have a few minutes, go ahead and pray for those victims of those deadly storms in the middle part of the country. But really, make sure you pray for Trump. If you're going to pray for anybody in the Trump family, would it really be Donald? I think I would probably pray for Melania or the poor sap who's married to Eric. That's just me, though. Uh, Surveillance video shows a thief who broke into Mile High Comics in Denver, Colorado, targeting very specific comic books, valued at $42,000, including a $14,000 Avengers First Edition. Hey, I've never even been to Denver, okay? John Walker Lind, the so-called American Taliban, after being captured while fighting in Afghanistan in 2001, was released Thursday after serving 17 years in a federal prison. He's also now been named the head writer of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And finally, Fire and Fury author Michael Wolff claims Robert Mueller drafted a three-count indictment charging President Trump with obstruction and witness tampering, but... The special counsel's office says that these supposed internal documents do not exist. So the guy lied to sell a few books. It's kind of like losing a billion dollars and claiming to be an expert at the art of the deal. The Trump Report starts now. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Yes, welcome to the Trump Report. I'm Christian Blatt, and here on a... Very special day. Joined as always by Chelsea Galicia. Hello there. And our special guest, return guest, KNBC TV legal analyst, Royal Oaks. Christian, always a pleasure to be with you, and I had no idea my Uncle Scrooge comic books in my garage might be worth money. You have to keep them, you know, polybagged with a oh, cardboard bag. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, the then... problem is they look like crap because mm-hmm. I colored on them and I oh, tore yeah. them and so but oh, they're still in the plastic help. bags. Yeah. So they're worthless. <laughs> that's essentially what I'm All telling right. you. Uh, there's, uh, there's so much to talk about, and uh, we have two of the greatest legal minds that I know. How right. nice yeah. is he? <laughs> Come on. I, I, I'm like, oh, poor guy doesn't know many. No, actually, this lucky guy doesn't know many let's, lawyers. Let's be honest. I'm on that list. There's the two of you, my friend Jason, who lives in Texas, and uh, Brooke, who's on here sometimes. This is the four of you. So that's what about really. Alan and she Dershowitz? hasn't quite passed the bar yet. I don't know Dershowitz. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, yeah, well, I just have legal mind. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so then, mind. yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Judge Judy, she counts. I don't actually know her, though. <laughs> she counts her money, $40 million a year. I feel like I know her. Uh, you know, last week uh, we ended up spending most of the show talking about uh, these these state laws that are being passed, uh, these heartbeat laws uh, in terms of limiting abortion. And we talked a lot about this, and well, you weren't here last week, uh, but thank you for being here this week. And I kind of wanted to talk about it from a legal standpoint. We talked about it a lot last week, but specifically there was the uh, – there's the Alabama law that – you know, has in there doesn't have the the exception for rape or incest, which usually comes up as an exception in a lot of these. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that very specific issue. Does that make it easier to throw out when you don't have an exception like that in there? And uh, why would you, why would somebody include that if they want to bring this all the way to the Supreme Court? If the goal is overturning Roe versus Wade, 
I think what is going on is that people who are absolutely hardcore opponents of abortion are trying to tee up the issue by filing, uh, getting some extreme kind of ridiculous laws that essentially ban abortion uh, on the docket so that they can work their way up. And their hope is in two or three or four years, the Supreme Court will be even more conservative than it is now because maybe Trump will have an opportunity to appoint one or two more people. And so they figure, you know, they'll, they'll have the knockout punch at that point because they know what they're doing is illegal. They know what they're doing is absolutely contrary to Roe versus Wade. And they probably sense that the current construction of the court would not be receptive to them dismantling Roe versus Wade. So I think they're just kind of as a Hail Mary pass, rolling the dice, and they figure down the road maybe they'll get lucky and have enough people to knock out well, Roe versus Wade. But, uh, and this is again what we talked a lot about last week, Chelsea. The, uh, do, do you think that there would maybe be a better play for these lawmakers? to pass something that's not quite as extreme because maybe you do the way the county the court excuse me is currently constructed maybe you could actually uh, you know do something meaningful in terms of getting closer to overturning Roe v. Wade or something. Uh, what are your thoughts on that it, aspect of it's it? It's pretty difficult. The Supreme Court doesn't exactly want to take up this issue. And I say that because there was a recent decision within the last couple of days um, about a case, interestingly enough, signed into law by then-Governor Mike Pence um, that says that a, a an aborted fetus must be uh, cremated or buried. And uh, the, the Supreme Court did not... Actually, left that left that law, let, allowed it to stand, overturned the appeals court, who said that that was um, unlawful, but didn't go anywhere near uh, the the analysis of running it through like an abortion uh, analysis. It because this talks about what is going to be done with uh, human remains or tissue after the procedure. So they intentionally didn't touch the Roe v. Wade issue. So this is not unusual. The courts sometimes, unless we're talking about Citizens United and other weird cases, generally like to see the scope of a case as very, 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 very narrow and wait until like the last possible moment to address the biggest issue surrounding whatever issue they're deciding. So uh, it is it's hard to kind of go at it gently and try and get the court to take it up because they'll usually find some way around doing it. So I understand the approach of you've got to pass a law that is like so offensive to precedent and uh, right. that that they have to take it up. But then it is, is so contrary to the laws and the precedents on which it stands that I feel like they're going to knock themselves out, even with justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. And the point that uh, Chelsea is making is really important about the Indiana case. There's another intriguing angle to it. What happened was Indiana did something that's kind of like what they're doing in these other states that are essentially bans on abortion. What Indiana said in this law also was, hey, if you want to abort a fetus and your real motive is you think he or she is going to be disabled, or if you want to abort a fetus because of race, you don't like the race that a fetus is going to be, or if you don't like the fact that a fetus is going to be a boy, you're hoping for a girl. If those are your three motivations, guess what? You may not do an abortion. That's what the law in Indiana said. Then 
The court came along and said, that sucks. We're tossing the law out. People shouldn't be able to say to folks, you may not abort because of race and sex and so on. And the U.S. Supreme Court just this week has said, you know what? The lower court was right. That law stinks. We're not allowing that kind of restriction on abortion. Only Clarence Thomas had sort of a disagreement. He said, well, maybe not now, but down the road we need to have this conversation. So bottom line, Christian, is people who are in support of the right to choose should be heartened by the fact that this current Supreme Court is almost unanimous in support of saying those restrictions on abortion are overboard. So, again, you're going to need to have Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Breyer and other folks actually off the court, replace them with Clarence Thomas-like folks before you get even close to getting rid of Roe versus Wade. Right, and the uh, so the part of the provision that that did pass, uh, I guess I was just uh, made sure I had the numbers right. It passed seven to two. Uh, the the part of the burial of the fetus. So, what does that do for the idea that you know you could possibly use that tissue for research or for uh, all sorts of things? I guess you're not able to do that in Indiana, and that part was upheld by the Supreme Court, right? I just want to make sure I understand that correctly. Right, right, because the Supreme Court said that the state does have. Uh, a legitimate interest in what happens in the discarding of of remains after. If they allow it to be for research, sure. But what we're recognizing here, what the court is recognizing, is that the state has an interest in the way that human remains are discarded. And that's what the, the debate about abortion is about when you're looking at it through the lens of the court. It's not about whether abortion is right or wrong, moral, immoral, um, an abomination or, or, or not. It is about a weighing of interests, um, or that's how it, the analysis has been done under Roe v. Wade, in the interest of the state in protecting life and the interest of the mother in control and dominion over her own body. So that's, I think, when people think about it, need to be thinking in that way, not just, it's just so wrong. And the reason this abortion issue got on the national docket was actually a couple of weeks ago when there was a totally unrelated case about whether or not you can sue Texas if you're in Colorado. Can you force Texas to go to Colorado to be a defendant? And the court overturned a 1979 rule on whether you may force a state to be sued in another state. And in overturning a precedent from 1979, the justices started talking and and was saying, you know, Clarence Thomas wrote for the court, and he said, oh, yeah, we can get rid of a bad decision. We can dump an old decision. And the liberals in the court said, whoa, what are you talking about? You sounds like you're prepared to dump any and all decisions you don't like from the 70s, like Roe versus Wade. And Clarence Thomas's attitude was, oh, no, I'm not saying that. But the bottom line is that triggered the debate. And I think, Christian, the, the essence of, of this thing going on is that Chief Justice Roberts is now the middle person. He's the decider. He's the old Sandra Day O'Connor and Anthony Kennedy right, middle right. vote. Mm-hmm. And he does not want the legacy of the Roberts court to be, I dismantled Roe versus Wade. We know that the guy has a liberal streak because he saved freaking Obamacare two times. Right. Yeah. So unless there is a huge change of personnel at the court, and I'm not talking about the janitors and the gardeners, I'm talking about the people <laughs> with the black robes, then Roe versus Wade is safe. And you feel it would take two justices to change, and they would have to not be moderates. They Absolutely. They would have to be very staunch conservatives. Yeah, because you've got four conservatives, you've got four liberals, and, and you've got in the middle Roberts. And actually, people don't like to hear this, but Brett Kavanaugh has turned out to be kind of uh, sympathetic to the liberal side. He has voted with the chief 27 out of 28 times, and the chief has voted with the liberals several times. So Kavanaugh is not a reliable Sam Alito, Clarence Thomas type vote. So right now, you're going to get a talk 
gossip, you're going to get a bunch of liberal and conservative decisions. Well, obviously, uh, always worth seeing what's uh, going on there on the court. And uh, I just, uh, you know, you just you wonder about somebody like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, if Trump's reelected, it's like, well, that, that's four more years. She's got to hang in there. And, uh, you know, I, at some point. Is the fight worth take her vitamins? You know. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, we've talked. I think Scott, on Scott, this Scott who's usually on the show, intake. talks about sort of uh, you know wrapping her in some kind of protective <laughs> bubble to make sure that uh, you know that uh, she because she fell recently and that was like, what are you doing? You know, I'm, somebody should be carrying her. I'm surprised progressives haven't advocated cloning her. And if there's a Boy, tragic a incident, then let's just put the clone <laughs> in there. All right? But. Uh, Wow, look at that. So what would cloning do for a lifetime appointment to the court? <laughs> so you could just clone everyone who's on the court. Why not? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I did want to move on to some uh, other topics, but also in the legal arena because I'm fascinated by – uh, I'm fascinated by Donald Tuck's fi- Donald Tuck, Donald Trump's financial documents because mostly because I'm just nosy and I like to know stuff like what rich people do. Uh, I uh, am not part of the 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 group who thinks that there's all sorts of hidden things in there. I'm like, you know, whatever he's up to, it's not going to be in his tax returns. But I'm fascinated in the idea of just what it is. And, you know, as soon as he didn't want to release them, that's when I wanted to see them. You know, if they came out, I don't think I ever would have Googled them. I wouldn't have even been remotely interested. I'm just like, you know, and then so when it comes out that he, what, lost a billion dollars over that uh, that period of, what was it, uh, 84 to nine, 85 to 94, I think. Uh, I, I love stuff like that. I like seeing, you know, rich guys lose a ton of money. So <laughs> I want to know, though, can the Democrats... You know, obviously, subpoenas don't mean what they used to, which we'll talk about in a moment. But what do you think that they're? What do you personally, your personal opinion, Royal? What do you think that they're entitled to in terms of these financial documents? Well, I too am really curious about really rich people, billionaires, and how they live. And so that's why I bought those Uncle Scrooge comic books. Right? Yes, exactly. The investment gotta, in the future. But I gotta say. Uh, I don't think it's any of our business. The House issues these subpoenas, and they say, oh, well, you know, we have to investigate an executive oversight. We have to figure out if the president has broken the law, and, and uh, allegedly maybe he took some gifts from uh, foreign potentates and so on. And let's face it, they're just doing this because they hate Donald Trump and they want to find grounds for impeachment. We didn't get into the alleged acts of any other presidents. So I don't think that that kind of curiosity is the basis for impeachment. Now, the federal judge they found in the District of Columbia was very sympathetic to the Democrats. He even went one further and he said, well, golly, if you can impeach a president, why can't you subpoena his records? Which, you know, sort of makes sense. On the other hand, I think there has to be a legitimate legislative oversight basis before you go poking around in his finances. There may be all sorts of horrendous financial crimes that he committed, but really, is that the legitimate function of Congress to go after this president when we know it's because they, and so many people around the country, hate him because you know, he's a really creepy guy. There's, but I, I think eventually people should come to the idea that, look, if this guy, hypothetically, has done a wonderful job, basically kept the world, uh, the United States at peace, and has off-the-charts terrific economic results, then maybe we should overlook the fact that none of us likes him. None of us would invite him over to, for Sunday dinner. I mean, give me a break. Stable genius? Who says that about himself? <laughs> but the fact that we have this visceral feeling, this antipathy toward him, does that really allow us to rummage around in his money bin? I, I don't think so. Well, there, here's one area where where Royal and I diverge on our legal opinion. Well, I was going to ask, so go ahead. Because I, I think that the congressional oversight is a much more um, serious responsibility than it sounds like You know, Royal has it out to be. We must remember that the Constitution 
outlines three co-equal branches of government. And whether we love or hate the president, you must um, do the oversight that Congress is charged with. And sure, it makes it a little bit more interesting and gives more fuel to the fire when you dislike the president, but it does not change the responsibility. In fact, the obligation set forth under the Constitution The Constitution that conservatives love to say you must follow the letter of the law in the Constitution. Well, nothing is more clear in the Constitution than the fact that we have three co-equal branches of government and that Congress is charged with oversight of the uh, executive branch. And there is more than enough, you know, they don't have to have probable cause, but in the legal probable cause to go in search of uh, of violations of the emoluments clause where you're not supposed to have any personal financial benefit to holding office. I mean, it is a very valid uh, reason for oversight. And one valid place that you go looking for that is in tax returns. I agree. There is a structure. Uh, the Congress does have a right to go after the president not if he's a, a right. bad guy. An obligation. You're yeah. absolutely right. And we've seen it. You know, they went after Clinton. They went after Nixon. They went after Andrew Johnson and so on. I have no problem with that. I guess my real problem is I just worry that the mental state of the people who are really pushing against Trump is not coming from a place of fairness. I mean, when Representative Talib says to her little five-year-old daughter a few months ago, and when the daughter says, oh, you, you beat him, you beat Trump in the midterms, and she says to her little daughter, yes, honey, we beat the MFR, and now we're going to impeach him. I mean, I don't think that's coming from a place of objectivity. I don't think when Peter and I mean, Lisa uh, exchanged their thousands of texts talking right. about we need an insurance policy against Trump, I wouldn't trust them with investigating his Russia connection or Hillary's emails. Christian, if you were on trial for your life, hypothetically, yes. and if Peter and Lisa were sitting there with their arms crossed in the jury staring at you, and they were on record with text saying, I hate Christian. Christian's a horrible person. And the judge says, well, now, can you be uh, objective and set aside your prior feelings about Christian? And Peter and Lisa says, yes, Your Honor, we'll be fair. This is what happens <laughs> I, in I court wouldn't, wouldn't every single day I know. in America. And it's so hard to do. But that is, that is our system. I worry right now. about Christian's uh, future well, with well, that jury. Not getting too uh, off the rails here. What I worry about is that uh, juries are comprised of people that weren't smart enough to get out of jury duty. As someone who has uh, reported for jury duty, and I've been there, and just watching all of the bad excuses, the people that I saw in the jury room talking, all of a sudden... They forgot how to speak English. And look, and I'm saying that, look, people, obviously, English is a second language. These are not people where that was the case. They were talking to their friends. They were talking on the phone. And then when they get in there, they they, they really, you know, they play up the accent and all that. So I was just like, I, I was prepared to get out of it. And I'm like, oh, I feel so bad that everybody's getting out of this. Like, what is my real reason for not wanting right. to go? So, so I went. And, you know, it, it, fortunately for me. I don't know about for the justice system. It was it was just like a two day uh, DUI case that was kind of uh, you know shut and open and shut. But I don't really open my eyes. It's just like oh yeah. So these are the people that you have on the jury, the ones who didn't have the good enough like well they don't have the financial or, har- hardship. God well, forbid look, that there's actually people that take 
their civil duty seriously. Well, the, the people that I was on the jury with, I, I, I don't know that many of them were taking it seriously. Maybe I, you'll get lucky and be on a Michael Avenatti jury, and the odds are in your favor because there'll probably be several over the next few years. Right, but I, I, what am I going to get, like $20 a day or something in but California? you'll be able to spend time in the room with Michael Avenatti. Well, you know, obviously there's a, there's a, there's bucket list uh, items uh, all across. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I think, uh, well, let me, let me ask a, a question kind of relevant to this. Uh, when you hear all these things, Royal, uh, if somebody was determined to build uh, the legal case towards impeachment, and we'll just, we'll move past the fact that, you know, the Senate wouldn't actually, you know, uh, move to uh, remove him. him from office. Yeah. Right. But if you were trying, do you feel like, I don't know, if you put it on a scale of one to 10 in terms of like how convincing the evidence that we as the American people have at the moment, how strong of a case is there at this point? I would give it about a three. I okay. mean, if you divvy up the ob- obstruction and the collusion, uh, you have to give Trump the fact that, you know, even Mueller and his 17 Democrats, who all hate Trump, couldn't find a basis for charging the president with the Trump, uh, president with a crime with respect asterisk, to collusion. Asterisk. We wouldn't get into the asterisks. <laughs> but then you go to the other side, and that's obstruction. And the reason I said there's a three on a scale of 10 is, you know, when you have out of his own mouth, uh, he says, oh, yeah, I fired Comey because, you know, things were getting too hot on that Russia investigation. Right. Tells it to Lester Holt on NBC. He goes into the Oval Office and he, gets, he has some Ruski guy come in there and he tells him essentially the same thing. And then he tells Don McGahn basically to lie, the White House counsel, lie about, you know, whether he was motivated to do a certain thing or he wanted to fire Mueller. Those things sound a lot like they're trying to interfere with justice. Now, uh, Attorney General William Barr took a lot of heat when he gave his little talk to the Congress and it made him sound like he was a personal lawyer for Trump when he said, well, people have talked about whether there was corrupt intent by Trump with respect to obstruction. But, you know, he was really agitated. The guy was really angry. He really thought it was a witch hunt. So he was furious and angry. And that doesn't necessarily amount to corrupt intent. Well, I can see how some people Mm. would say, yeah, I think that does qualify as corrupt intent. If you really wanted to obstruct an existing investigation, even if it was motivation, and the motivation was anger, we think that's enough and we're going to go forward. So I think there's a case. I think the problem from the Democrats' standpoint is I think the American public and some surveys back this up. Their attitude is let's move on. Let's do intra- infrastructure. Let's do immigration and so on. Enough with the going after Trump on impeachment. And so in that sense, the Democrats may suffer the same fate as the Republicans did when they insisted on going against uh, Clinton in the 90s because of all the salacious stuff in in the Ken Starr report. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is so much pent-up anger among the Democrats that they force uh, the issue and they overrule Nancy Pelosi even though she's their leader. But at the end of the day, they may be left with a 3 out of 10 case and the American public may penalize them with re-electing Donald Trump in November 2020. Which obviously could uh, happen either way. I know, Chelsea, you don't like to think about that. I actually saw an article today of somebody who predicted, you know, Trump's win and has predicted all the wins since 1984 by studying the last hundred years. And he has this criteria of 13 true or false questions that if the uh, candidate passes, six or more, then he's likely to, to win. And he believes that the really only way the Democrats can win in 2020 
is to impeach because there is a question about scandal that then that key would be turned on by... Does he mean well, impeach and convict or just impeach? Just impeach. Because well, I guess if that... Yeah, I mean, look, Bill Clinton didn't have to run for re-election right. after he was impeached. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't... and I, I had to retire to I, Whitewater. I, right, right, exactly. And, you know, uh, I, it, and Al Gore didn't want uh, Clinton, you know, out there stumping for him probably for that reason. Stupid. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I think in the moment you can understand how somebody gave him the advice was... Uh, uh, you know, hey, there's a lot of stink around this guy. But then, when you take into consideration that you know Al Gore was a bit of a, a bit of a dud, that it, it could have helped to have your rock star president come out. But anyway, um, one other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of all this, um, my understanding, uh, Chelsea and Royal, is if any of the three of us was subpoenaed for something, oh my gosh, we would be uh, we would be very concerned, and we would immediately report to whatever the subpoena asked for. Why do I hear about all these subpoenas and everybody's like, no, you don't have to go, and then people don't show up? And what, so, what's the difference? What what would happen if I didn't show up for a subpoena? I think I would probably be arrested, right? The Gray Bar Hotel, yeah, yeah, is yeah. where you'd go. Yeah. The executive privilege is the ground on which Don McGahn and a few others uh, have said, "I'm not going to show up," and he may really want to show up. But the idea is that a president is entitled to have advice from his folks without the president or his advisors worrying that it will be revealed down the road. Nixon asserted this, and the Supreme Court kind of shut him down. They said, we want all the tapes, we want all, all your documents. And, and their holding back in the 70s was, yeah, if the president is talking about some national security nuclear code thing, yes, we'll keep that secret. But otherwise, we got a criminal investigation here. And so the executive privilege only goes so far. So now... Today, Trump and his folks are asserting executive privilege. It's basically a holding pattern. It gets them off the hook for a while until a judge says yeah or no on the executive privilege claim. So that's the answer. You're not in a position to say, oh, there's executive privilege. Christian Blatt can't talk about this because you didn't sit down in the Oval Office with the president, but these folks did, and so that's their claim. But I have not heard any legal analysis say that in the end Trump will will win in his you know. No, it doesn't seem like approach. doesn't seem like Nobody there's much strength. So you feel like ultimately the these people will have to uh, actually yeah, testify. I think it's so. Just, uh, they, they're able to spin executive their wheels for a while. privilege is is very very limited, and it's arguable that it even exists with McGahn for several reasons. One of which is that McGahn was able to talk to Mueller, so it's like. You you let him go talk to Mueller, but then now you assert executive privilege. You had to have asserted that before, because there are some privileges that once you waive them, you can't backtrack and, oh, wait, now I'm claiming it. And people are saying Trump waived the executive privilege because he's been blabbing so much about what he and McGahn talked about. It is a murky thing, although it was acknowledged by the Supreme Court in the Nixon context that it, it exists, but it's limited. For a long time, it really didn't exist. I mean, Eisenhower was the first person to use it in a high-profile way in the 50s. He hated Joe McCarthy, and McCarthy was trying to subpoena all of Eisenhower's people right. regarding the Army and so on, and Eisenhower said, hey, what about this? What if we just claim that this you know, advice is secret. It's just like an attorney-client privilege. Well, president-advisor privilege. And it flew pretty well for a long time. Then the Supreme Court limited it, uh, but now it's back. But what if 
your uh, your privileged conversations take place with, uh, say, a contestant from The Apprentice who didn't even win uh, <laughs> and then gets fired. I, I don't know that, you know, if you get fired from your job. That's what actually is a very valid question. Mm-hmm. There is. You sound so surprised that I had a valid question just because I tied it to Omarosa. <laughs> but I did that because I thought. She's but, shocked. Yeah. But, you know, but attorney client privilege does not exist where there is a third party who can overhear it. So whether the same thing applies to executive privilege. I actually don't know the exact answer. Sure. That and if yeah. Alexa was listening, I guess it's waived. You yeah, know, that's but she's always listening. I think. Well, at least two of us have iPhones, and I'm sure Siri's listening right now. You know, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. So I know these are all the things that I, I wonder about. You know, in terms of uh, of you know, you hear about these subpoenas, and I know what a subpoena means. At least I thought I did. So it uh, it makes more sense now that you've uh, you've explained it. Um, and just sort of back to what Chelsea said a moment ago, sort of what it would take for uh, Democrats to uh, actually win. Um, I don't know that I see anyone that uh, you're just like, that person's a slam dunk. You know, it would take like a like a Michelle Obama or someone who it's like who immediately has that kind of credibility. I think it would not be Hillary Clinton. You know, I know she says she's not going to run. I, you know, I, I don't know that you get that. And look, when you have 24 people, I think it's 25 now, actually, <laughs> it's you're definitely diluting the pool too much. But Royal, what do you think it would take uh, for uh, Donald Trump to not get reelected uh, just a little bit over a year from now? Well, I think, Joe Biden, I think Joe Biden is the key here. Uh, and if you look at uh, recent American political history. The lesson is, if you go to an extremist, you're going to get your butt kicked. If you go to 1964, when the Republicans couldn't resist, they're going to run Barry Goldwater no matter what, even though Nelson Rockefeller really wanted to to get get it. And so they got killed. Uh, Then you move forward to George McGovern in 1972. The Democrats were reacting to the whole war thing and LBJ, and they couldn't hold themselves back. And he was characterized as standing for amnesty and abortion and acid. That was the AAA slogan by the Nixon people. Crushed him, 49 to 1. So I think the lesson for the Democrats now is if they're going to insist on a Beto O'Rourke or Liz Warren, it's equivalent to picking George McGovern or Barry Goldwater. You are going to get crushed because the American people are not going to buy into socialism. If you don't have a Democrat politician who's willing to say, Excuse me? Of course I'm a capitalist. I'm not a socialist. I think a capitalist system that works for everybody that needs to be tweaked to get rid of the holes in the safety net, but I'm a capitalist. If you say that, you're going to win, but half of the progressives in the field cannot bring themselves to utter those words. Joe Biden can utter those words just fine. Everybody loves Joe Biden. Yeah, he says some crazy, goofy things, and there are a lot of gaffes. But if the Democrats don't pick him, I think they're nuts, because he would beat Trump and anybody else on the progressive list. I think it's a coin flip or, or the odds are bad. I, I mean, but, you know, the good news is, Christian, if Trump is reelected, I don't think it'll have much of an impact on the public. There won't be any weeping and, and moaning and no. wailing and, and, and uh, increased visits to psychiatrists. No, it'll, be I, no, it'll be nothing it'll be like fine. election night uh, no. in 2016. Nothing like that. Chelsea Everything I, will be fine. Where Chelsea and I were on the air here at uh, oh, AfterBuzz. Oh, really? Yes, we were. Piece we were doing, of history. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, believe, I believe you had a, a celebratory bottle of champagne that then turned into a different kind of bottle of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very different, yeah. uh, different uh, popping of the cork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, well, you know, Chelsea, as uh, someone who certainly leans in that direction, is the problem that Joe Biden is not somebody that energizes the the base yeah. and the youth in particular. Yeah, I I do believe that that is a a big problem. I mean, I I, I guess in all of the politically engaged Democrats. 
um, whether they're pushing now for Buttigieg or you know Sanders, whoever, will say, fine, we'll vote for uh, Biden if we have to. They're not going to do the Jill Stein or the uh, Ralph Nader. Or I was thinking of the libertarian guys. Oh, sure. You know, I, I think the lesson on that one is recent enough to say, okay, we're not going to go for the third party um, candidate. But sure, the enthusiasm is going to to lack. And I, I, I know that Royal is very, uh, you know, historically accurate. But I don't know now with Trump if if history is the best indicator of the future. I mean, I think it would take somebody like a Pete Buttigieg, who is, I mean, I know Fox News paints him out to be like this progressive sweetheart, but there are lots of progressives who think that he's not progressive enough. But what he does have are, uh, and, you know, one thing that we we saw in the Fox uh, town hall that he recently has is the, the, for lack of a better term, the sharp tongue that can keep up with the Trump banter. And I think that's what Americans are tuning in for, is the 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 nicknames and the low blow punches. And I think Buttigieg is capable of that. Yeah. But he's also got real experience and uh, a, a real level of credibility. Because uh, it is right, a jump his, from South Bend mayor to the Oval <laughs> Office. I mean, apprentice I, to the Oval I, Office. I, I That's a, an even bigger jump. <laughs> right. a bigger jump. I had a friend who, uh, she pointed out that it's like, well, maybe he should be a mayor of a larger city first. <laughs> and then he could be like a governor. You know what I mean? Just get a little bit more experience. Uh, even yeah, Garcetti could really, stay in the race. Who's that? Even Garcetti could oh, stay yeah, in the race. He's no, the I, Los Angeles mayor. Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess... Uh, Never the, thought that that one was a good the idea. One thing that I think about Biden is that he is somebody who could keep like that would certainly be the most entertaining vice advice pre- presidential debate yes. you know uh that you know so i guess if this is being programmed by TV networks who are going to be airing debates, that's who they want. And if he but, smells Trump's hair during the debate, <laughs> that, the ratings are going to go through the roof. But what does it smell like? Is it even really hair? But that's a question <laughs> for another time. Uh, but I think that it's – look, it's a, it, that's a, the real problem is it's hard to imagine a lot of these – it's like you can take the high road as much as you want. You you have to actually get down in the mud and, you know, I guess you have to – you basically have to bare-knuckle box Donald Trump in a debate if – if you actually want to give the impression that you were better than he was uh, in that debate. Yeah, if I could quickly hop in. Hey, that's um, the magic voice, Jeff Graham. Yes, magic voice, Jeff Graham. I'm a bit more of a casual political follower, but my perception is that Biden's really the only one who's willing enough to break candor and um, uh, etiquette to really go against Trump. Unfortunately, most politicians are so buttoned up to what's perceived as politically correct that there's just not a space for them to... um, there's no viable space for them to actually go toe to toe with him. Whereas Biden's tendency to kind of break the rules and defy social norms, I think could be really valuable in a campaign. Defy yeah. social yeah. norms, and, not and, something I have u- I've it, heard used in describing Biden. In the uh, in the 80s cop movie, Joe Biden would have to turn in his gun and his badge like in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. You know, he's exactly. that, he, he, he walks to his own beat, man. But I, I do think that that's a problem. And you have a lot you know, of younger politicians who everything gets vetted through, like, the team and, like, well, what do I think about this? And you should know what you think about something. Now, maybe you're like, you know, I don't know how to articulate it right now. That's fine. But, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, 
Joe Biden will definitely open his mouth and uh, worry about the uh, the repercussions later. But. I don't think he's got any real negatives. I mean, people talk about how he supported this anti-crime bill in the 90s, you know, talking about predators. Well, a, a lot of people are really bad criminals out there, and sometimes you need a tough-on-crime bill. I don't think that's going to lose him the election. The idea of uh, Anita Hill, that he, you know, he wasn't uh, hard enough on Clarence Thomas and so on. He, he allowed Anita Hill to testify, and some people didn't testify because they had serious serious credibility issues. So I don't think he's going to lose the election because of that. And, and you know, he's he's a gaffmeister in a way, but I think people trust him and know him. I mean, eight years uh, attached to Obama, who's still very popular. Uh, I just don't see this guy as having negatives. Uh, it, it's true, millennials don't love him, uh, but, you know, the, the, most of the population is not millennial. And at the end of the day, I think the Democrats are just going to have a question. What is the maximum chance of beating Donald Trump? And I think the answer is going to be Joe Biden. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I don't know, I, I can't imagine more people getting into the race, but you always wonder, is there somebody else? And look, I think that you probably have, and I think I've said this before on the show, there are probably a few people who are viable candidates that are like, yeah, I think Trump's going to get reelected, I'm going to run in 2024. Something you know? that Royal said earlier made me wonder, is Howard Schultz still in this? Because he was somebody yes. who said, I am... Um... He makes the best coffee. I mean, uh, <laughs> Howard Schultz, he is the worst nightmare for the Democrats because if he gets traction, he is going to suck so many votes away from the liberals. I don't yeah. think he's going to take that many votes away from Trump. And so, yeah, he, he made a big splash when he started. But you're right. I haven't heard much about him for the last month or so. But I thought of him when you said the Democrats are going to win with the guy who says, I'm a capitalist. That yep. it, and it needs to be tweaked. And, oh, boy, does it need to be tweaked if we're going to... Keep it. It's got some major, not just holes, but like corrosive corruption going on in it. Uh, and sure, I that would be progressive enough for me if somebody says, I am rooted in capitalism, but the strain of capitalism that we've got going on in this country is sick. Strain? You make it sound like Ebola. <laughs> it, it, it's getting there. Yes. Uh, well, I guess the big negative is really the the age, but look, we're living longer all of a sudden. So yeah. you know, I, and Liz I, Warren's about I mean, the same age, and Donald Trump's about the same yeah. age, and, and, and Bernie, and Bernie Sanders is. Certainly. I actually, I legitimately don't know if Bernie or Joe are older. I know one of them's like a year older. So it's like when you're talking about guys approaching eighty, it's a lot different than if in you know the sixties you were talking about somebody who was in their seventies. You know, I mean, uh, so when Reagan was elected, he took office I think at seventy as the yeah. oldest person who'd ever taken office, and that's right. totally obsolete now. Right, exactly. Uh, anyway, we only have a few minutes. We really only have a couple of minutes. There was one thing, uh, Royal and I traded some messages uh, beforehand, and uh, one of the things I wanted to give you a chance to kind of elaborate on was this question that you asked uh, on your show. Where do people find that, by the way? Oh, the Royal Oak Show is at uh, CRN.com, but also just go to YouTube and type in the Royal Oak Show. And uh, you asked the question, do Democrats love Obama, as in the person, but reject Obamaism? So I wanted to give you a chance to expand on that. Yeah, and it ties into what we've been talking about. I mean, Obama still is very popular. I understand he's not real happy with the fact that Michelle sold 10 million books, and his <laughs> book he's about to issue, finish, he wants to make sure he beats her, uh, her record. And it's reportedly he has said, well, you know, she had a ghostwriter, and I write it all myself. But I think the discussion... That did he say, did he he say did that in an interview? That's what I hear. Oh, okay. All right, no, I see. Either I see, that or I, I made it up. One of the two, I don't remember. But <laughs> That's the, fine. The, the point about Obamaism is that uh, millennials and a lot of progressives, as much as they love the memory of Obama and saw him as a wonderful, groundbreaking figure, 
he wasn't really liberal enough for them. The, he wasn't hard enough on the climate to change stuff and coal and so on. And so it's interesting that a lot of people are rejecting Obamaism as too moderate, but they still relish the memory of him as, as a breakthrough figure. But, uh, I mean, if the uh, alternative was, let's see, I mean, you would, have had, you would have well, you would have had either uh, John McCainism or Mitt Romneyism. <laughs> I mean, right. I don't know which one they would have wanted. Uh, Chelsea, as someone who I tend to think of as a progressive, uh, what do you think about uh, sort of that point of the legacy of Obama? Well, yes, I you know wish it wasn't such a disappointment, but there was this this guy that felt like ah he gets it. He's, uh, for many people, they felt like one of us, one of us who, you know, a person of, of color, somebody who came from uh, circumstances that were different from the pedigree of people that had normally parent, in, in yeah. there and all that. But then, yes, he got in there and nobody in, on Wall Street or big insurance company or a big corporation went down for the, the causes of the recession. Um, bailouts stopped with big companies. There wasn't enough uh, looking out really for uh, the little guy. There was lots of war- wars, I mean, not declared wars, but certainly lots of, uh, we'll call it international fighting that bo- looks, you know, bombing, like seven countries. A lot countries of drone strikes. At the same time. So for progressives, yeah, that was a big disappointment that he seemed to surround himself with a lot of, you know, to borrow Trump's language, the swamp. Can't um, throw on that health care, yeah, I mean, yes, kind of. And to, to do I mean, that, he gave up a lot of political capital. Right, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. And, and, and by the time it became what it, Obamacare, as we know it today, he had to give up a whole lot of things that the progressives have wished he had kept. So it, it was just very watered down. And I think it's probably less his fault and the fact that it's more of a systematic thing about what, what happens when you have lobbyists come in to the doors of the very um, regulatory bodies that they used to be regulated by. It's just, yeah. it's just a, a systematic mess, which is why me and other progressives are more a, about the system of money and politics and cleaning up the corruption than it is about looking to any one person. You've convinced me Obama was practically a Republican. <laughs> well, Republican light. I, I, I mean, he, 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 was, he was against gay marriage at one point. So That's you know, true. Then he saw the light. Right. Well... Uh, you know, obviously Obama ran on uh, hope and change, but then, of course, the problem is you're dealing with an institution that, you know, hopes you don't try to actually change well, and anything. And on because his watch, Citizen United happened, which was not his fault. So then you're yeah, not even... You can't imagine that would be, but... No. Yeah. He, then, then now the money and politics problem just got much bigger. Well, uh, I don't think we're going to solve uh, money and politics before next week, but if we do, we'll be sure to lead with that. But uh, we are out of time. Uh, as always, Chelsea Galicia, where do people find you? At Chelsea Galicia. And Royal... Oaks, where do people find you? RoyalOaks.com. And uh, we mentioned the Royal Oaks Show. You said CRN.com or Google the Royal Oaks Show on uh, YouTube. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. And tonight, here at AfterBuzz TV at 9 Pacific, I'll be doing the penultimate episode of Chernobyl on the Chernobyl After Show. So please tune in for something that's just really light and airy and not super heavy or a downer <laughs> at all. And if you saw the latest episode, uh, you know exactly why I say that. Anyway, that's all the time. 
time we have for, but we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.